So glad you're here today, Destiny family, our online community joining us. And uh, I actually got a message last week from somebody in Afghanistan who was online with us and said he's having personal revival, having been uh, discovering Jesus in Scripture with us online. So, so delighted to see God continue to expand all of that. And I have some really special guests here today that I want to um, recognize and introduce. Um, Tracy and I met at Oklahoma State University. That's back where it all began, Jesus' favorite university in the state of Oklahoma. I knew there'd be some rebellion in our midst when I made the statement of truth, but uh, we are redeemed. You know, she went to law school at OU. We love uh, all the universities and colleges in Oklahoma, but there's something really dear in our heart where we met and we connected you know Gina Perry. We knew her then as Gina Craybill before Ryan uh, whisked her away. And then they uh, popped into church and became elders here. But uh, all of a sudden, all these folks started converging. Uh, some roommates of mine from college and friends, that they were friends to me in some of the most formative years of my life, having just become a Christian. And I want to ask you if you would stand, if you've come in from out of town or, or uh, out of state, uh, from, from, from the Stillwater days, Hillcrest days, and I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate you guys making it here today. <clears throat> I really need to get my breath and, and preach, so um, I'll try to move on here. But uh, these are some of the most important people in my faith and in my walk. And um, just one more, if I can go there. The day I gave my life to Jesus in November of 1986, uh, John Ware, Jim Burkett, and Dan Mooney are all leaders, pastors that you've heard me talk about if you've been here for any length of time. But when Jim, Dr. Burkett, spoke that morning and I ran forward with my two-tone mullet, to give my life to Jesus, uh, I met a man that was about center and buried my face in his chest. And uh, Johnny Caulfield, I honor you and thank you as a servant to the body of Christ. And would you mind just standing? I just want to say thank you right before our church family for your ministry. God bless you. So many times it's all the vocal pastors that get all the attention, but how many you know the substance of the church and the celebration of the church, sometimes we kind of miss the element of that. The celebration is the backbone, and I want to say you're the heroes, church family. You're the heroes. Thank you for your service that we might reach more people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what it's all about. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> So if you would, pass the books down, take out your note cards. If you were not uh, here for our Pledge Sunday, just give us your projection and giving so we can make financial projections this next year. It would be most helpful on that pledge card. You can drop it in the giving stations. But take your note card out. Look at the back of that. Some important things coming in weeks ahead. We want to make sure you're aware of all of that. Also, just want to mention uh, we don't pass buckets anymore to receive tithes and offerings, and I want to thank you for your generous giving. That's how we do what we do with uh, all the ministry that's going on here. So uh, if you don't have the giving platform yet on your phone, you can use giving stations, a lot of different avenues through uh, your bank, electronic fund transfer, whatever. But you can text 
our God's Presence for Real Life acronym. GP, do you have that slide you can pop up? GP4RL, text that to 77977. Um, the slide will come up, hopefully, sometime in the near future. You'll see it. But um, uh, if you put in your phone 77977 and just text that GP4RL, then it will send you a message back and show you the giving platform. You can utilize your phone if you'd like to do that. Awesome. Uh, I, it's really awesome tying in Star Wars, Merry Christmas, everybody. You're not even going to believe what I'm about to tell you. But we're also going to tie in Song of Solomon, Merry Christmas. Like, where can you go that you hear, you know, Jesus is born unto us, a child is born, Star Wars, Song of Solomon. And this is like a really challenging morning for me. But, you know, you do what you feel God's asked you to do. And, uh, and I, I really toyed with the idea of delaying this, but we've been in this emphasis, and we're right now in a season of a pursuit of wisdom. And I want us to pick right up where we've been, because I, I felt like the Lord was telling me to do it, and then I began to see how it really made sense, and I want to walk you through some things that will be very helpful for you as students of the Word. That's the most important thing. Not that you come and fall in love with the speaker, but that you come and fall in love with the Savior, that you get into Scripture and into the Word, you understand context, history, you become students uh, and disciples, where you're growing in your faith and not just hearing encouraging inspiration but truly we're experiencing impartation on a daily level how many know when we're doing that then when we show up here we've got something to contribute and release to the spiritual climate and atmosphere can i get a witness in the room Amen. So what we want to do is press in today and continue in this. We've looked at the, and we're just finding Jesus in every book of the Bible. We're going through 66 books of Scripture, and he is everywhere. He said in, in the book of John to the Pharisees, the Scriptures speak of me. The New Testament had not yet been written. So every book of the Bible speaks of Jesus. So we've gone through, we started in Genesis. And I encourage you uh, to turn the page. Get one of those old-fashioned Bibles, start in Genesis, put the date at the top, and start reading, because you might bypass past some portions of scripture uh, if you don't do what I'm talking about. Plus, it'd just be a great heirloom to finish the book of Revelation, have the dates at the top of your turn-the-page Bible that your children and grandchildren will one day look and see how you read through scripture. But we're going through each book to give history, context to each one of those books. Today is the fifth of the five books of wisdom and poetry. And it's been fascinating as we've looked to see and uh, as we've evaluated this, the fifth book is actually Song of Solomon. So we've seen uh, Proverbs, Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, Job was the first one, and then Song of Solomon, and it's been this pursuit of wisdom. And so today, somehow, Merry Christmas, Song of Solomon, Wisdom of God, it actually all fits really well. I don't know what's happening over here. Uh, So we're going to move and discover Jesus in the book of Song of Solomon. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you have ever read Song of Solomon. Raise your hand if you've actually read this book of the Bible. Okay, Uh, and that's most people in here, but this is one of those books you probably don't seek out and think, I'm just going to read the Song of Solomon. I mean, it's kind of a unique book. It's a unique expression as we're evaluating what what God's revealing in the context and history of this book. We're going to find something that today I want to present it to you in this way, and I want you to understand it's almost a sense of a biblical conundrum when you evaluate what we learned last week about the book of Ecclesiastes and the way all this truly uh, ties in. So, this little eight-chapter book in the middle of the Bible, uh, who is the author of Song of Solomon? Solomon. Yeah, that's pretty easy, right? We weren't all sure last week with Ecclesiastes Press, but Solomon has written uh, the Song of Solomon. It's a great expression of poetic uh, love and relationship. It's really a beautifully written book. book on true friendship, and and listen, 
meaningful sexual relationship. And I just want us all to understand, this book is explicit. In fact, when young couples get married here and they go through our premarital counseling progression, the book requirements and so forth, what we ask them to do and suggest is on their honeymoon, get a contemporary translation of Scripture and read the Song of Solomon together because it's so uniquely intimate. And I I want us to see a few things that will really help us today. The basis of all this is born out of genuine, authentic, foundational friendship. I want everybody to say friendship. Very important. How many of you are glad you're friends with God? Out of a basis and foundation of friendship with God, this is where we really begin to understand so much of the intimate relationship that he's designed us for. And understand, this is a book of wisdom. We're understanding wisdom. We're looking at this. Unto us a child is born. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the Word came, right? God literally embodied the wisdom of God in the body of Christ, and that was the expression to the world to rescue humanity. So please hear that. That, that word in John 1 is logos. That's the logic of God. It's the wisdom of God expressed. And when we start looking at the logic or the wisdom of God embodied in Christ as the rescuing entity to us, what that means is we need to to understand that our thinking is vitally important to this. My people perish. Why? Because there's a big bad devil out there. No, that's not what it says. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So understanding and getting our minds and our thinking right is why Jesus came. It's why this is so significant and why today we're going to actually auto-correct a little bit some of the sensational ideologies of the culture that violate uh, understanding and theology of Scripture. So here's the kingpin verse. You'll see it on your handout there. Song of Solomon 5.16. Such an important component for us to understand the whole book. This is my lover. This is my friend. Let's say that together. That's such a powerful statement. This is my lover. This is my friend. If you're married, I want you to grab the hand of your spouse. Just hold their hand. I know it's church. It's okay. Hold their hand. Say, this is my lover. This is my friend. Go ahead. Give them some love. Like full on both lips. Go ahead. Okay, this is a really important element for us to understand. Like the world tries to, to present the most passionate element of whatever's going on to attract us, right? I mean, you know, when they show the theme park, uh, they don't present the long line standing there to pay for the ticket and the heat. They show the going down the roller coaster, and people screaming, yeah! They don't show the kid throwing up and it's splashing back on everybody. That's not the part they show. They show the most passionate, enjoyable, awesome element that they can to get your attention. That's the world's whole ideology. That's the way they think. When the world starts talking about relationship, what do they do? They find the roller coaster moment and that's what they hone in on. They don't talk about the more important matters of the overall context of friendship and relationship. They just want to move right. That's why Carl's Jr. sells hamburgers. How many of you love those Carl's Jr. commercials? You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen them, it's like, are you kidding me? We're supposed to be talking about hamburger buns here, okay? And so, I mean, this is crazy. The world's antics to try and get our attention and cause us to look and, and, and captivate us, and, and it bypasses so many of the important elements if we would recognize and understand this. Okay, very important statement for us. It's not on your uh, page. I just was pondering this this morning, actually, and contributed this to it. But trees don't struggle to produce fruit in the sky. Trees struggle to find moisture in the ground. Now, you think about what I'm saying. Trees don't... I never have walked by a tree, and and an apple tree is over there going... 
work. It's not struggling to produce fruit in the sky. It's struggling to find moisture in the ground. Our struggle is to get our roots established correctly. And if we get our roots established correctly in our marriages, in our church relationship, in all relationships, if we get our roots, I mean, struggle for this. Don't just throw away important, valuable relationships in your life. Struggle. Fight. Fight. Every relationship comes with a struggle. If you just keep abandoning every time it gets hard, you're never going to win. Fight and struggle for the moisture. That's what will actually produce the fruit. The context, first blank, write this in. The context of friendship is what produces and sustains true passion. That's what produces and sustains true passion. That's why so many relationships are fly by night. It's like all we're after is the passion side. I mean, that's what we've been told culturally, right? We're pursuing this passionate thing. And like, we're missing the point because we got our pursuit wrong. That pursuit should actually be a result. Don't pursue the results. Pursue the pursuit. The friendship, the foundation, the first things first. Chasing the element of passion without embracing the context of friendship is a vain, empty, and draining pursuit in our lives. That's why we promote, and you hear me say it throughout the course of the year, and I want to encourage you always to consider, if you're single, if you're in the dating scene, then take the three-month challenge. The three-month challenge says, when I meet somebody and I feel like I might be interested in that person, then what I want to do is I want to devote myself to establishing and building a friendship first. Don't do relational things for three months. Build the foundation of a friendship. Because as soon as you bypass that and start doing relational things on any level, you've missed something very important, a very important component that we find in any relationship. And our dating scene of our cultural ideology has violated something very fundamental to our biblical theology. So take the three-month challenge. I know it's not very... uh, If you post that online, you'll get some feedback. I understand. It's not culturally popular. But how many of you know we need to be biblically sound? I mean, there's just some rich things. I think we need to stop striving for the fruit in the air and start digging in the roots in the ground. Let the nutrients really prevail and build something. So here's the biblical conundrum. And this is kind of wild, and you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about as soon as I say it, particularly if you're here last week, because you cannot understand the book of Ecclesiastes if you do not understand who this author truly is. Remember we went through all of this and we talked about the way a king thinks and it was astonishing as the lights came on and we began to see. I mean, Solomon is like, the book of Ecclesiastes is all this sarcasm and it's about life, vain life under the sun, right? Under the sun. And so like, we we understood that he was an expert to talk about how vain life is under the sun because he is a king. Like, more wealth, more power, more fame, more Twitter followers, more social media friends, more than any of us. I mean, like, so much money, so much power that none of us could ever, ever, ever even compare and consider the perspective. He, he had it all. And one of the things we talked about, you remember now, again, we're talking friendship, right? Intimacy, friendship, this expert writing. And one of the things we talked about was 700 wives. And how, remember, 700 wives gives us 700 mother-in-laws. And so, I mean, he's got all this going on, all these relationships and, and evaluating seven. I mean, what? Is he really an expert to talk to us about intimacy and sex with 700 wives? Do you see the biblical conundrum? 
And I was greatly challenged as I pondered this, and it's part of what I believe is my obligation, not just to preach you up to give you the five happy, fancy reasons that you should have joy, but to give you biblical context and history so that you can become students of the Word and understand some of the harder questions that theologians understand. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's fight in the, in the soil and get a better understanding so that we can grow in the Lord. So thanks for coming. Next week we'll pick up here and I'll give you the answer. Here's the answer. Most scholars believe the book of Ecclesiastes, understandably, was written at the conclusion of Solomon's life. He'd gone through and lived a full life and experienced so much and had come to a point of sarcasm of understanding life under the sun. Scholars also, theologians also believe that Proverbs, understandably, was written through the course of his life. Started early, produced on through the years. But listen, Theologians clearly believe the Song of Solomon was written at the beginning of his life. This is why that's so important, and this is why, he, this, this is why it does lend him the credibility to, to talk to us about intimacy born out of true, sincere friendship. Because there's something unique we discover as we start studying the book of Song of Solomon. He's in love with a peasant girl. And theologians conclude and believe, and I concur 100%. When you look at all this and you start to read this book, now you're going to see it from an, another angle. This was his first true love. That, my friend, changes everything about the expression of what's coming out of Solomon's heart. Powerful to consider this whole aspect. Now, so Solomon would later begin marrying uh, to expand his influence. In fact, his first marriage alliance is found in 1 Kings chapter 3, where he married Pharaoh's daughter to expand his influence. And, and obviously, in the midst of the pursuit of power and influence, he began to lose some of the valuable things that he had fought for, perhaps earlier in his life, like many people in this room. We get lost, we lose our way. If we're not careful, the things that mattered the most matter the least after years have had their way with us. And I want to say the things that matter the most need to matter the most every year that we live. We need to constantly come back and renew our minds and develop our, a passion and a love and a heart and a hunger for the most important things that we stir that up in every relationship in our, every relationship in our life. So this is where we see Jesus revealed profoundly. Jesus in every book. Jesus in the book of Solomon is revealed profoundly by a king who loved a peasant. You get the picture. Unto us a child is born. The king came to rescue us. Merry Christmas. The king came to rescue the unworthy peasant, to draw the unworthy peasant into an entirely different place of royalty. So I want to ask you, take out your phones. I want to ask you to post something on your social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you have. It's your next blank, and I want you to wish everyone a Merry Christmas that you follow. And uh, if you're old, Facebook, whatever you have there, that's what I hear. I'm, I'm told you're old if you're on Facebook. I resist it. I will never be old, by the way. Well, I'll never be mature, but I will get old. So post this. God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. Hashtag Jesus loves you. Hashtag Merry Christmas. You got it? God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. Hashtag Jesus loves you. Hashtag Merry Christmas. And what you're doing is communicating to people what the genuine heart of God is and the love of Christ is this wonderful king 
desires to reach into our lives unworthily. We, we are unworthy. Yet because of Christ, suddenly it changes everything. Now, I'm going to help you understand a little more of that, but I do want to give you a few of the verses. Uh, you know, I like to romance my wife. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but I get an a, a for effort. You know, I've shared stories how I took her up on the roof to get under the stars, and the pitch of the roof was so steep that she kept sliding off, and I would pull her back up, and finally we gave up. It was not very romantic to have your wife up there. And so uh, I've, I've attempted to give her some, uh, some romantic verses. Guys, I just want to encourage you, use some of these romantic verses out of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 4.2, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Each one is a twin. Not one of them is alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now that right there will open a whole new realm of relationship. You share that verse. Here, here's, another, here's another. This is powerful. Are you ready? This is powerful. Song of Solomon 7.2. Your navel is a rounded goblet and your waist is a mound of wheat. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Okay, now we don't know what all is going on here or what, you know, why that would be something he, he would say. But it's a lot of fun for me to say it to my wife, especially in front of my girls. They really love to see me romancing their mom like that. Uh, but there is something we do see, and I want to point this out, and, and I'll, I'll use those kind of tongue-in-cheek just to get you there. But as you read the Song of Solomon, it's not only Solomon speaking, but it's this lovely treasure in his life. And she says something of this nature along the journey of her conversation, don't look upon my dark skin. And here's the thing. She was a peasant who worked in the field, and she did not have fair skin like a wealthier person that didn't have to work outside. That's the essence of what's going on. She did not find herself attractive. Guys, this is hugely important for us to understand. Jesus has come, and he finds us really lovely. I, I mean, Kind of hard for the dudes to process all that, but like he really loves, he really cares. We really are his bride, and he really loves us, like wholeheartedly, completely. And I'll just say again, he doesn't love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because he loves us. But I want to bring this element in from this perspective today. I think it's really important for us to understand. She struggled a little bit with her uh, feeling of a lack of beauty, her self-identity. And I want to address that because I think it's important as the church, we're talking about some things that are really <clears throat> helpful to, to people in a culture that tries to dismantle and tear them apart. How many of you know we live in a world that worships beauty in such a way that it messes people up? We live in a world that worships beauty in such a way, worships beauty and youthfulness in such a way. Have you ever seen those, uh, like they start getting... Uh, pull their face back, facelifts. Have you ever seen that? And then they get like so many facelifts that their, their mouth opens to their ears. Have you seen that before? Don't do that, okay? If you've done that, then God bless you, but, but go easy, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, we live in a society that worships beauty and youth so much that it messes people up. Like it gets in our head and changes everything about our identity. And I mean, I don't know, beautiful models on these magazines and things. You know, you stand in the store and you see all these beautiful models. And, and what you got to understand about even the beautiful models, they take their picture and then they airbrush them so that they look perfect, which means even the beautiful models aren't even real. And here's the thing. Our self-image, it's kind of like this would be a picture. 
Okay, and I hold this picture in my pocket. Our self-image is almost like carrying around a self-portrait. And when we meet somebody, we say, hi, this is me. This is me right here, yeah, this, that's our self-image is. We're holding our self-portrait out there. Like, I mean, these are like college friends. We haven't seen, some of us haven't seen each other more than 20 years. I mean, I don't know if you noticed or not, guys, but things have changed a little bit. I got, a few of us, like, I mean, I want to hold my portrait up like this. Hi, this is me. I want to hide this part, you know? I mean, the self-image is like a self-portrait. We're constantly positioning this. And listen, most people have a horribly distorted self-image. And we see this in the Song of Solomon. She's going after something. I want to address it not only in that cultural ideology, but I want to address it in this cultural ideology. Because little girls are brainwashed into thinking that this little doll is supposed to be what they look like. I'm not anti-Barbie. I don't believe Barbie is the Antichrist. <laughs> but I want you to look at Barbie. Like, I want you to look at her toothpick skinny legs, her neck that is as tall as the Tower of Lebanon, you'll read in the Song of Solomon. And, and I mean, this, this is unrealistic. This is hugely unrealistic. In fact, one young lady, a college student, did a study on eating disorders, and she, she took Barbie and grew her proportionately to be six feet tall. And so here's a quick look at, at what she came up with, uh, kind of an expression of that Barbie. Six feet. <laughs> hey! That's the problem. <laughs> So, uh, I just want you to understand something. Barbie is anatomically impossible. Her waist would be so small, she could only sustain half of a liver and would only have a few inches of intestine. Her size three shoe on her six-foot-tall body would be coupled with an ankle so small it could not sustain her pace to walk at all, so Barbie would be on all fours trying to survive in our society. Here's the thing. Like, and, and it's kind of funny when we're looking at it, but I want you to think about this. When our comparison is based on identity, then our confidence comes from externals rather than from our internal values. Song of Solomon shows this. This, this woman, I don't know, her dark skin, her, you know, whatever it was that she was, I mean, like now, it's awesome. Dark skin, like Faith and Lexi. Faith gets up in the morning and she goes right into makeup mode. Like stuff is shooting everywhere, driving down the road and makeup stuff's flying on this side and flying. It's like debris. Now she's driving, she has to get up early and like a puff of stuff is out of her room. And Lexi comes out and she's like, I mean, this is my sugar and this is my brown sugar. And when brown sugar comes out of the room, she just walks out glowing Tropicana. She doesn't have to put a thing on. <laughs> Come out, are there some women of color in the room? I mean, it's like something, you know, it's very different now. But back then, like that was not the way they saw it. That's not the way they lived. So she was embarrassed. Because she didn't have what didn't look like other well-to-do people probably look like. But listen, he was crazy about her. He was madly in love with her. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
This is not about the cultural, ideological definition of what we should value. This is about what God says is important. God's love for you. Please hear this with your spiritual ears. Like you who have ears here. God's love for you doesn't even have to do at all with how lovable you are. God's love for you has everything to do with how loving He is. And the more we live from God's approval, the less we strive for man's approval. Let me just tell you, He loves you. This is the Christmas story. It's the most unique Christmas story I've ever shared. But this is the Christmas story. This King came. He came to rescue us. He came to restore us. He came to take us out of our peasant mindset, our disconnected from royalty attitude, to make us part of the royal family. Unto us, the child is born. The word has come, made flesh. Why don't you close your eyes? Lord, it's great to come together and share in your word something powerful and profound about our willingness to interact with your word. Because you allowed your word to come and be made flesh, we have an unusual, rare ability that the king is calling us by name. Jesus' name, awaken us to the purposes of God today on a level, Lord, that we've never understood before, every single one of us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just with your eyes closed if you're here, and honestly, I'm going to talk, I want to ask you two questions. One's about identity, but before we get there, very core, very important, you're hearing you say, I don't know that I know Jesus. I know I, I need to get right with God. I want to respond to salvation. That He is the Savior, and I need Him in my life. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. You just know that you need. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Just quickly. Thank you. Come on, let's pray on behalf of these three that have lifted their hand. Everybody say this out loud. Let's join together as as a declaration for every one of us in the room. Say, Lord Jesus, you're the giver of life. You came. You lived you died but you're alive you're the savior of the world and today I seal the deal you're my savior I want to walk with you I want to serve you I want to follow your example in Jesus mighty name amen now just one one more question if you're here and you say this whole identity is hitting me And I've not had a healthy self-identity. The the portrait I've tried to present, it's not what I know God wants. I want you to slip up your hand if that's you. I want to pray for you. Identity issue going on. Lots of hands. Hold them there just for a moment. Anybody else? Just quickly. Father, I just pray for everyone in this room, for those who lifted their hands. And I also agree, Lord, over all of us, that we would understand the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence that Approval from God spares us from searching for approval from man. And I pray the fear of the Lord would be established in every one of us. 
in a greater capacity as we pursue you and love you and love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I know uh, I've not preached very long today because today is a, um, what do they call it when you have two movies? A double matinee or a double, double feature. That's what I'm looking for. Today's a double feature. Um, so I'm going to give you your second feature in just a moment. But, but here's your action point. Because we don't believe in just hearing the word. Because if we're just hearing the word, we're just becoming more religious. We want to be doers of the word. So every week there needs to be an action point where we take God's presence and translate it into real life. So your God's presence for real life action point this week is to express Jesus this week as you celebrate Christmas. Find creative ways to love, serve, and give so that truly we're honoring Him. Our family began talking about this last night, some key things we want to do that are just, every one of us, just do something, some sacrificial things this week to express truly the meaning of Christmas. Not just when you sit around and open presents or whatever you do to celebrate that, uh, but all week let's really try to focus in. Our schedules change to get a little bit of freedom. So that's your action point this week as you walk that out. Now, <clears throat> I want to walk you through just a couple of things because we're going to come into a season where um, I'm, it'll be just a few minutes and we're going, to, we're going to shift back into worship. But the worship team can just kind of sit tight for a few minutes and, and we can even go easy on keys and just I want to pull your attention in for the double feature. It's a season. What we're going to do is take a little bit of a more concise uh, focus in worship and then we're going to present the opportunity as we conclude and we want to do this very much on purpose because I feel the Lord's been speaking to me for months. We've been talking with our elders, our team, about a very important component, very important element that we as Christians need to understand. Let me just say, this house is to be marked by God for a hunger for God. We are a people that are marked by a hunger for God. Can I get a witness in this place? We're a people marked. So what we don't want to do is ever allow business as usual. I'm thankful for our awesome team, worship, greeting, coffee, you know, kids, ministry, everybody that's got, I mean, I'm so thankful for all those elements that are here in this church. Let's don't ever, ever, ever come and just take all this for granted. Let's don't ever come in and just hear the songs and if they... If they, you know, really get us moving, then we're moving. And if they really, you know, it's not my favorite one, then we don't. No, that's not why we're here. We're here because we are the movement of God in the earth. I want you to hear me say that today. You and I, we are the Jesus movement to our generation. We're not just mere Christians. We're the Jesus movement to our generation. And I want to walk you through. You'll notice you still have a blank on your card. I get tackled after church if I forget these blanks. And I, I forgot this one on purpose because I want you to hang with me just for a few more moments. But I want you to understand, you and I, we move mountains. You and I, we kill giants. There are some mountains that need to be moved, and there are some giants that need to be killed. And I believe God has orchestrated something very unique to happen today, and I'm going to explain all that. I didn't even understand it until I got here to church. But, but here's the thing. We're going to press in more this Thursday at our Christmas Eve focus, 5 o'clock, where we're really going to understand a little more about the context of Jesus coming to the earth. It's going to be a very special evening. So come, but don't just come. Come and show up ready to contribute to the atmosphere. I don't show up to church to see if I like it. I show up to church because I am the church. And people are going to like it more if I'm here. How about you? Every one of us ought to have that attitude. There's an atmosphere. 
And we are responsible for that atmosphere. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, speaks of how the people who know their God will be strong and do great exploits for God. Does anybody in this room know God? I'm talking intimately, for real, know God. That word in the Hebrew language is the same word used in Genesis 4. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. This is an intimate terminology. If you intimately know God, you will be strong. You cannot get that close to God and not be strong and do great things in the earth. Jesus didn't love us. This is the core phrase I need you to get. I'm getting preachy. I, I didn't mean to. I'm trying to get you to understand something. You feel free to shout me and walk the dog, Bishop, whatever you'd like, though. Jesus didn't love us back. He loved us first. And it's our willingness to respond that changes everything. You need to have that, like, written on your bathroom wall. You need to remember this. Jesus didn't love you back. He loved you first. And it's your willingness to respond that changes everything. And when you respond, something powerful happens in your life. Let me just, I want to take, make you understand, get you to understand. Is it God's will to save everybody? Absolutely. Please don't be, don't have any question about that. It's not God's will that any should perish. It is God's will to save everybody. So why do any perish? Because some people don't respond. Okay, so get that. You need to understand that. It's God's will. It's recognize that Jesus didn't love us back. He loved us first. And it's our willingness to respond that changes everything. So here's your blank. Our response determines God's reach. Think about this. Our response determines God's reach. When you hear last year, or last week, Pastor Ken up here, when he would say anything to us, the, the word, the peace, the healing, anything, and we say amen, we say yes, what are we doing? We're saying, I assign that to my life because the promises of God, according to Scripture, belong to us through our yes and through our amen. And so our response determines God's reach. Do you get that? So like the songs are going, and there's something going on when we're singing more than just like, Woo! It's not just the melodic expressions. I mean, like, there's something happening in the spirit realm around us. When Paul and Silas began to sing, the foundation was shaken. Chains fell off. Captives were set free. People outside the building started waking up spiritually. People hung over in the neighborhood start coming alive and understanding, being awakened to the purposes of God. When you and I sing, Our response determines God's reach. Do you understand that today? I want us to purpose response to the Word and to worship on a, on a new level. One of our corvettes is passionately pursuing. And I want to provoke you. And I want to challenge you. When we respond to God, we release His reach. Or in other words, when we respond to God, we move mountains. When we respond to God, we kill giants. We're not just saved we're the Jesus movement to uh, further the, the, the move of God, the power of God, the work of God in the earth. So, like, we're hoping God changes our world. God's hoping we change our world. He is the light of the earth. We are the light of the earth. It all works together when we cooperate and respond to Him. Now, everybody has a different response, I understand. But whatever your expression is, I want you to give it your wholehearted expression because... You know, we, we don't raise our hands because we're radical. We raise our hands because it's biblical. Like Moses lifted his hands, and as long as he lifted his hands, 
the, all those fighting were victorious. When he lowered his hands, then they began to lose the battle. There's something to that. Do you agree? I believe when we lift our hands, I'm going to lift my hands this far because my girls tell me it embarrasses them when I lift it this high and you see how sweaty my armpits are. So I keep them down here so you don't know that. But, uh, but you, when you lift your hands, I just feel the whole victory coming on today. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, so when you lift your hands, there's a champion spirit coming upon your children. When you lift your hands, there's a champion spirit coming upon the body of Christ. When you lift your hands... God's mobilizing the, the people of God to be the Jesus movement in the earth. We're the Jesus movement. We move mountains. We kill giants. That's who we are. When we shout, like the days of Jericho, Joshua led them in a shout, and the walls came tumbling down. I want the worship team, if you would, go ahead and come up and get prepared. And when you shout, the walls come down. I mean, like walls that seem impossible. These walls could never come down. They suddenly start coming down. How many of you need to shout at a few walls in your own life today? How many of you need to shout, not because your own walls need them, but because other people do, because you're living your life with a faith that moves you beyond you into the lives of other people? That's just who we are. We move mountains that other people don't have to climb. We kill giants other people don't have to fight. When you clap your hands, we don't clap our hands because we're radical. We clap our hands because it's biblical. Job 27 says when we clap our hands, we hiss the enemy away. Puts his hand over his ears, gets his hands off you, gets his hands off your health, your money, your kids, your whatever's going on at your workplace. Every week we have uh, communion available at the back. So what we're going to do is we're about to worship. I want you to stand with me. We're going to press into worship. We're just going to take another song and, and listen to me. You hear me? I'm like, don't worry. We're not going to inconvenience you too much. Now, let me just tell you, the kingdom of God costs something. There's a cross at the middle of it. And we ought to be willing to sacrifice and suffer on behalf of other people so God's kingdom can expand in the earth. As we worship today, I wanna, you might want to step out and just take communion as a weapon against the enemy. If you haven't given today and you want to give, as a, I want you to do it as a weapon. We are here to expand the earth. I want it to be worship. Find the giving station in an attitude of warfare, in an attitude of worship. We're declaring today, we are here. We're killing giants. We're moving mountains. We're the body of Christ. We're the Jesus movement to our generation. Our response determines God's reach. Do you believe that statement? That's a really important statement. Let's say it together. Our response determines God's reach. Your voice is how you got saved. Your voice changed heaven and earth. Suddenly there began to be an alignment. Your voice will change things and all of a sudden heaven will invade earth. Let your voice ring out today.